Uh, this is the chapter-by-chapter -chapter live class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville, and I am Kevin Evans, and I am the um, um, ringleader. <laughs> and uh, in our previous episode, as we were studying Acts 2, uh, our intrepid heroes, uh, uh, Peter and John, uh, were entering the temple and healed a random beggar who was uh, sitting. Chapter three. Uh, okay, it was chapter three. Thank you, Bill. You're, you're so helpful, Bill. I appreciate that. Um, uh, it, we were looking at chapter three, verses one through ten last week. And at that point, we, we discussed the, the gate that they walk through and uh, all of the cultural significance of begging. And uh, we, got, we, we got them down to uh, 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 Peter and John through the power of the Holy Spirit healing this beggar who then stood up. And that's where we stopped. And um, now what we're going to look at is Peter's sermon that he gives in the temple uh, after this healing, which was, I think the point of the healing was to draw attention to Peter's sermon. And, and then a subsequent trial that happens after that as we get into chapter four. Was this, uh, was this their first miracle after the day of Pentecost? Oh. You're the teacher, you're supposed to know. I, 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 I do not know for sure that answer. They, that, they were performing miracles before Pentecost. What are you talking about? No, I meant it was just the first one, big, big one that they did after everybody was coming together and all of this after the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's the first one that Luke's re reporting on in Acts, but I don't know about the chronology of it. Did I mispronounce that? The chronology? Okay. The timeline? Okay, you you with me, Teal? Okay, okay, good. Uh, okay, so, um, so we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 11 and uh, hopefully finish up uh, chapters 4, and then, I'm at 3, and then uh, we'll lead into 4 with, because the story kind of continues. So beginning at verse 11, and I'm just going to read the whole segment and then we'll come back and unpack it. Emma, yes. Uh, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, according to my particular translation of the Bible. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness? Uh, we, we, may, we, we had made this man walk. The, man of, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He handed him over to be killed, and he disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance 
as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord that he may send, to the, send the Christ who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. You don't think that's how he read it? Of course that's how he read it. It was better than that. Um, Peter, well, I, I think it's important to, to kind of consider this. Where was Peter three chapters ago? Yes, broken. He was given up. He was uh, going fishing. He, he was done, depending on how you interpret the last chapter of John. He jumped in the water and went to the shore. <coughs> yes. Uh, I don't know that Peter, in his own power, could deliver that message. Thank you, Bill. Just stepped right up there. Uh, I, 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 the Holy Spirit is, is speaking through him. Um, so let's, let's back up just a little bit and see if we can kind of tweeze this apart. Uh, he, they're entering in through the gate beautiful, which is the front gate into Herod's temple. And I'm trying to get, I have a tiny little map. I don't know if you can see this. Herod rebuilt the temple during his day. And, and, and Herod was not all that uh, religious. Herod was a social climbing bureaucrat in the Roman government who happened to have enough Hebrew background to justify dealing with this particular culture for the Romans, if that's a, a decent explanation of him. He was trying to be impressive. And if you are a Roman ruler, uh, back in uh, the day, the way you were impressive is that you built something, usually by tearing up somebody else's property, and then you, you build something that will be so big and so massive and so glorious, glorious that they can't tear it down till long after you're gone, and therefore you leave a mark on the world long after your life. And so we want to refer to, we don't want it to just be the temple. It needs to be Herod's temple. That's what he wanted. He wanted his name on the temple in Jerusalem. Well, he basically thought he saw himself as a god, but we know God got even with him for that. Yeah. Um, so looking, I've got a little outline here in this little piece of paper that I don't, that only I can see at the moment. Uh, and what he did was rebuild the temple in a permanent way following the specs uh, that, that were given in the Old Testament. Because he can't really get away from that and not 
and have it be the temple, it's got to follow those dimensions. And it's got to use those materials. But as far as the craftsmanship goes, that, that's kind of subject to whoever's building it. So he rebuilds the temple, and it's still going to be the same size and look kind of the same because he's following the same plan. Well, how do you step that up a notch? What you do is you build a whole complex around the temple that's bigger and more monstrous than the temple was. So he, he's got uh, these huge walls around the outside, uh, making the whole thing look bigger from the outside. And then when you come in, there's this enormous car, uh, courtyard that is um, the size of a small farm. And he's got these massive buildings following the walls that uh, have uh, kind of a Roman look. It's a solid wall on one side, but it's columns on the inside. And following that Asian idea of an interior courtyard, they have columns that are supporting uh, rooms on the top portion. And then you have this big open area, which is the whole Roman idea, where you're sheltered from sun and rain but you're, it's still open to wind. You can still see out. It's kind of outside, but it's a good place for a gathering of people because you're protected from the elements somewhat. So we have one full wall with all this opened area, and those are called porticos, I'm told. So we've got a royal portico on... There, there we go. There we go. Yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, pole barn. Yeah. Um, just much bigger poles, I guess. Yeah, you know. We're more practical around here. Uh, there is a fancified portico on one side, which is all for the royal folks. So if you are Herod coming to visit the temple, you come in that side and you've got you know, all of the, the, the royal junk and, and, and they keep out the riffraff so you know, lesser people don't get to go in there. But then you've got these three other sides to it and one of them is called Solomon's Portico, Solomon's Porch. So the, the east side? It's called Solomon's Great what what does your Bible say, Bill? What? It's called Solomon's Greatly Wondering. Okay, I've, I've seen this called Solomon's Port, Solomon's Portico, and Solomon's something else, but I've never heard that. What is that? <laughs> what does that mean? It's right here. Yeah, right? Jennifer says, what does that mean? <laughs> oh. Basically, it means a fancy way of saying porch. Oh, thank you. Okay. Oh. I'm glad, glad we've got that worked out. I, so important that we have this all. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, you're not allowed to quote Shakespeare when you're studying Bible. It's like a big deal in Texas. <laughs> I have been fussed at so many times. Never mind. What do you yeah. think got me into such big trouble? We can't discuss that without starting a huge fight and being thrown out of the church. Talk to you later. Okay, so uh, yes, of course I do. <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. 
Okay, um, I think I've managed to avoid destruction there. All right, so uh, he walks in and uh, through this big gate, and I assume that the Shoshan gate is the beauty gate, right? I don't know. And so we, we, we come in, and now we've got this courtyard of the Gentiles because we're not even to the temple yet. It's just this big courtyard inside. So that's why they call it the courtyard of the Gentiles because Romans come in here doing business with Herod, and... Uh, and, 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 but it's the outside of the, the, the temple. Well, we've got these big areas where public people can gather that are covered. It's basically a really large community center, these colonnades are. And Christ, on several occasions in the Gospels, went to the temple in his teaching. And what most people assume is he's not teaching inside the temple. He's inside these colonnades because that's where people can gather. And it's just, it can be, they, they have trials there. It's, it's just kind of a general open, yeah, it's inside. Yeah, you'll see these little. Or the square area here. It's inside these areas. Those are the colonnades. And so you've got these big open spaces that you can fit thousands of people oh, in. And this is out in the sun, but this is uh, covered from the sun and it's covered from rain, but it's still open. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's where they are. And, uh, and, and this is where people traditionally teach. However, you've also got the Sadducees who are a sect of Levite priests that run the temple. And they have developed their own little doctrine that is against, uh, they, they, they kind of created their own little denominational, you know, chunk of, of priests, and they don't agree with all the Pharisees. So we have this big split. But so they have their own little power base inside this temple. And if somebody starts teaching over in a corner, particularly if a few hundred people are standing around listening to them, you're going to notice that crowd. And it's inside home base here. They're going to be all over it right? What if a thousand people start following somebody around? Well, they've got to pay attention. What is, you know, because it's all about power and money and you know, control. control. Thank you. So, of course, they had to teach outside there because the Gentiles weren't allowed to go in the temple. Well, yes, and you've got Gentiles hearing this, <laughs> and you know. Okay, so Peter says, why are you uh, being so surprised? Now, now they walked in, uh, in the rich gate with the, with the fancy people, and we've got a beggar who is still wearing his beggar cloak, we assume, walking in behind them. He is well known. Uh, later, in the, at the end of this chapter, uh, Luke inexplicably tells us that he was 40 years old, the beggar. Uh, I get, I'm not sure why that was important. But anyway, uh, is that really old? I, did, I don't know in their, in their standards. I hope not. Anyway, uh, so he, he, we, we have this well-established beggar that everyone knows who's now walking around, and that's getting everybody's attention. And the beggar is standing around with Pharisees. He is as low class as you could possibly be, and suddenly he's around all these upper-class folks, and he is way out of his element. Never mind the walking stuff. And so he's sticking very close to Peter and John, and, and, and Luke points that out. So they've got this beggar sticking close to them just out of his own protection, 
And that's attracting attention to Peter and John because everybody's wanting to know about this beggar. So it's like instant stage for Peter. And Peter begins to speak in an anointed way and in telling people that this is, why, why are you shocked? You know, God has, has, has done something here. He says, I did not perform this miracle. God performed this miracle. Oh, and by the way, it's through the power of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. And don't you think he's looking at some of the people who were there? I mean, I mean he knows these people by their face, right? If not by name. Do we know who these priests would have been? Who are the priests? Who's the high priest? Actually, the high priest is Caiaphas. Oh, wait, it's not, because it references an Annas, Annas, who was Caiaphas's father-in-law, whereas five minutes ago, in two chapters before, it's listed as Caiaphas, and I've heard some, some scholars say, or try to speculate as to why that is because Caiaphas, we know from non-scriptural writings, was in power for about 20 years. And Annas, who was his father-in-law and presumably about 25 years older than he is, uh, was also very powerful and lived right next to him, we can only assume, based upon the last couple of chapters. So we have these two men who are the power in this temple. And I'm, I'm assuming that they're there. This is a big deal. There's thousands of people following these two teachers uh, that are students of the guy they just killed. I think I would go check on this if I were Caiaphas. Right? Oh, wait. Do they know these two guys? <coughs> Does Annas know John? John was tied to several influential people somehow. John got Peter into the trial when Christ was there because John was known at the door. We don't know exactly what John's relationship to the household of Caiaphas is, but he has one. And so... Here's Caiaphas going to see what the ruckus is, and it's John, that guy that he lets into his house. They're sitting outside to find out about this cult. This cult's been around for a while. Sure. I think they know who all 12 are. They're they, on they a list them. somewhere. Yeah. But, they, but this is the one they let into their house. Don't you think that's important, <laughs> Maybe. You know, we were questioning, why is it Peter and John that are together? This isn't the pairing that we usually see, right? It's not time for everybody to go yet. Why is everybody the, leaving? It was the Shakespeare quote. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> they disagree. Obviously. <laughs> it's not, not the first time. You know, that, you know that probably a lot of the Pharisees, they, they hung around the temple, so they were probably already there before the miracle even happened. Because they hung around the temple probably well, to, yeah, to make, to make is, sure everything was the way they wanted it to be. Well, and they also, you go to the temple during prayer, during the three different prayers during the day. So yeah. there's a lot of people coming in. Yeah, there, there are priests everywhere. Uh, but I think what, what I'm, my point is that it's, it's John that's there. And I think John might have, I, I, this is Gospel of Kevin, 
some kind of a relationship connection to the high priest. I think he's known. He's just a little bit favored, maybe. Uh, I read one commentator that was trying to suggest uh, that he's like the nephew or even son, and I don't think it's son, but I think nephew. Uh, yeah, he's he, he's he's a co he's cousin John, I think, you know, and so and and I think maybe that might explain what happens in the next couple of chapters, because I don't understand the logic behind what happens and that something was going on here. Okay, so. John shows up, and we've got the high priest, and Peter is preaching for all he's worth. And he says that uh, Christ is the founder of life. Uh, he declares Christ's deity. Uh, and then he preaches repentance. He says, now, you did this out of ignorance. And I think there he's preaching to the crowd that's not the priests. You know, because they, they weren't part of it. Uh, I think the priests were, were absolutely aware of what they were doing. And a lot of the crowd that was there, they, some of them were responsible because they were the ones out there saying crucify and crucify. Yes, uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is the inner court of the temple with all of the inner court temple people. And that's exactly who was at that trial. So, yes. And so Peter is preaching back to the crowd that did the deed. And then he makes a comment about blotting things out when he said, okay, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold. Uh, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. At times of refreshing, they come. Hmm, mine translates that a little differently. Uh, does your King James say blotted? What, what, yeah. where, what verse are you in? Uh, verse 19. 19. Repent ye therefore and be covered converted and your sins may be blotted out when blotted the times okay. when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I looked that up just to see if there was any subtlety to it all and there kind of is um, and this betrays my interests but the uh, ink that they used on the parchment at the time was non-acidic because to use acidic on parchment makes the parchment deteriorate so they're using a uh, base uh, uh, ink. However, the problem with non-acidic ink is that it doesn't bond like the ink that we have now. Like I cannot rub the ink off of this paper. This paper is going to be black for the rest of eternity or until the paper is destroyed, you know, and because it's chemically bonded together. Uh, their ink did not chemically bond to paper. So their ink was more like pencil. Does that make sense? It was sharper. I mean, it read like ink, but if it was still wet, you could take a kind of a damp cloth and, and blot it out and, and wipe the ink away and basically clear the page, you know, so you can completely eliminate a word yeah, because it's not acidic based ink. It's yeah, just yeah. more like a paint, if that makes any sense. Yeah, may probably. Yeah. And so, and, uh, and if it was dry, you could scrape it off. And they had a whole way of doing that. And when that failed, they would take a little piece of paper and they would glue a dab of paper on top of it to cover it up and then go over that. There's some really fascinating maps that have those on them. That parchment paper was extremely tough. Like, 
Yeah, it's leather. It's leather. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a little white white out tape, you know, like you put over the word. Better analogy. I didn't understand that reference. I'm sorry. Okay. His mom yeah. Really? Of course she did. Yes, she did. I didn't know that. I, I believe you. I believe you. She got rich off of it. And she developed my glasses. Did you know that infrared glasses were developed in Dallas? I'll have to tell you that story someday. Okay. Um... No respect. <laughs> so Peter is referencing uh, prophets, and uh, because because he quotes, where, where does he quote? He quotes Moses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to do that in order to substantiate your teaching. That's kind of the traditional teaching in a temple. And uh, because it's not just his opinion, he's trying to teach like a rabbi would teach. Okay, and that kind of is all I've got on chapter 3 other than this is also a symbolic picture of the church, which I thought was interesting. So, very quickly... Uh, the, the beggar is crippled from birth and we are born into sin. So he is separate and he's, he's wounded and he is apart from God as we are. Uh, he was poor and we are spiritually bankrupt. We cannot do anything about our sin on our own. So he is without power. We are without power. Uh, he sat outside the temple and we are outside the presence of God in our human, you know, uh, power. Uh, he was healed through no action of his own. So we don't earn our way into God's grace. And uh, he became healed immediately. There was no process to it. What? And uh, he gave evidence of the power of God. So he immediately witnessed to what had happened to him. Okay, beat me up. No, I agree with you. Oh, yay, I like it when but that I, happens. But this is going to support because there's even in the verse of, what am I looking at? I'll oh, bet you can turn the page on me. In the verse 12, uh, why you gaze at us as if by our own power of piety. And he's, because there's nothing good in us that's able to get any of this. You know, some healing ministries get right with God and then you'll be Right. That completely knocks that doctor right. out. Right. Because this guy wasn't looking for it. Yeah, so. he was one. Because people say, well, maybe they're holy. No, it had nothing to do with our holiness. It's, it's the grace and mercy. Everything Christ gives us, what Peter's talking about, is by his grace and mercy. Right. Not by our piety or our power. Yeah, it's, it's what, I've all, you know, what I was always told is that you can't, well, you can't get your prayers answered and you can't get your healing if you're not saved. That, that you know, used to, that's what they, that what they taught us. Or if, unless you're holy, you can't get healed. Yeah, and, and completely holy. Which is yeah, evidently totally, totally bogus. 
But what I think is amazing here is that Moses, I never realized what, how, how much of a comparison to Moses and Christ had here, you know? Explain. Well, you think about it. Christ is the son of God, okay? Moses actually got to speak directly to God, got to see his hinder parts as he passed by him. You know, I mean, there was that close, I mean, Moses had such a close relationship with God, even when he didn't get to go into the promised land, God took and buried him somewhere. And you know, when uh, I think it was Elijah was praying for a long time, Michael the archangel couldn't answer, couldn't come to answer his prayer, was delayed because he was having to fight uh, Satan over the, where Moses was buried. You know, so I just think it's unique because I don't know, when you go through the prophets, I don't know of another prophet that was that close. I mean, that had that kind of a relationship with God, that close. Okay. Well, but when I was going to, it's a well, I'm sure, but it's, I'm sorry. Well, no, but because it's also because if it is about piety, we're not going to get any answer to prayer at all. Who, who, who is really pious here? You know, and that's what the, it says. Don't be looking at this as this is about piety. That oh, we're so special because we're holier than everybody, so he's going to answer our prayers. I've seen some pretty, and I think I mentioned this last week. I've seen some pretty sinful people get healed, and I've seen some pretty what you would consider holy people not get their Well, but see, he said, don't look at, this is not because of us. This is because of him. Well, and that's also encompassed in, like, our righteousness is not our own, right? So yes. So like, you have to have that understanding. And our, my righteousness, righteousness is not filthy right. right. So, like, it doesn't matter how anything we do of ourselves is not really Because when it gets into that, then we're getting into a works-based salvation. Yeah. And, he, and the whole picture, I think I mentioned this, was the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, not just to equip us, but it always points to Jesus. Always points to Jesus, and, and that's what they're saying. Said, don't be looking at we're some powerful human beings or some pious human beings. This is God. He's working through us, and then that is our relationship to Christ is important to allow Him to work through us. Well, the less God has to work with, as far as our pride and everything else, the more successful we can be because we don't get in the way. There's less of us to get in the way. You know, a lot of people that think a lot of themselves. It's harder. And I can say this for real. My mother, she smoked three, four packs of cigarettes a day. And then she tried to quit smoking, and of course, nothing worked. But I remember she came into a service in our little storefront church we had in Garland. And she went down to an altar, and God delivered her of cigarettes. And she never picked up another cigarette again, and never, as far as I know, had a desire for a cigarette. I mean, I, I saw that, and I know that her heart probably was not right when she came I you know she was working on trying to make things right maybe but I know God did that miracle because I saw it I had a thought do you think the fact that John lived as long as he did and avoided some of the things that happened to the other disciples had anything to do with 
his possible connection to the high priestess actually. Maybe in some ways it preserved his life. Just a thought that ran through my head. Well, in my humble opinion, probably not. And anytime people bring that up, I, I like to point out that John was boiled in well, oil. Well, he was. Earl. He was boiled in. In <laughs> Earl. But, yeah. but like you said, it didn't, didn't happen to way toward the end of his life. I Maybe think he would have preferred to have been beheaded to be yes, boiled in so. oil. Please kill me, Please kill <laughs> me. And he lived through it. You know that he had ongoing suffering for the rest of his life from That's that true. way. So, yeah, uh, he, he didn't get off scot-free. No, he didn't get off scot-free. But, I mean, I think the purpose of the book is the acts of the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that the theme of that is, because there's a lot, because if it was about piety, the Pharisees should have been doing miracles left and right. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, chapter four. Uh, and I want to subtitle this with an Oscar Wilde quote, no good deed goes unpunished. Because verse 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, which is the, uh, uh, the, the doctrinal belief that the Sadducees had different than the Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, this is the one thing that they really got bit out of shape over, this resurrection thing. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening and they didn't have time to put him on trial, they put them in jail until the next day. So they heal a guy they preach to the people, they get a good crowd, and they throw them in temple jail? I tried to find out what temple jail looks like, and I couldn't find anything on that. I don't know. They, they've got, yeah, I know. It is a little, yeah. It's a little face, a little room. It's kosher. It's jail that's kosher instead of jail that's not unkosher. Cultural, culture jail. Inside the temple jail. Yeah, federal prison. Uh-huh. Something like that. Okay. So, so they. He won't let the people go. So they throw Peter, John, and presumably the healed beggar into jail, so that they'll all have them the next day when they put them on trial. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about five thousand. That's a pretty good crowd. That fills up the whole portico right there. That's church. Mm -hmm. The next day, the rulers, elders, teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And I promise it's not during the hour of prayer, any of the three, because they're going to try to do this, you know, on the QT. But it's still public. And they're having a public trial, probably, in those porticos. Yes, Phil? And there's Ananias. He shows up again. There he is. Ananias... The high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas. See, now Annas is the high priest. What? what? Uh, John, Alexander, and uh, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them. So that's two Johns, I guess. Peter and John brought before them and began to question him. By what power or what name? 
did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if you are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then I know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is, and here he is quoting from Psalms, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. Well, Peter is on a roll. When he saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They're, they're writing their names down in paper again. And since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them was nothing that they could say. So they ordered him to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are you going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. You know, they're just looking for a way for plausible deniability. They want to lie and get away with it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again after they'd been in prison for a day and been on trial and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So you're standing in front of a judge and the judge says, pay this fine and go. And you say, Brandon, no. What's that judge going to do? Yes. If it's happening in the Hunt County Courthouse, you're going to jail. I don't know how for how long, but you're going to jail. You're going to spend a night or two. This is contempt of court. Yes, exactly. And so that's exactly what happened. They have just told him, you may not preach anymore. And they said, no, God told us to do this. Am I going to obey God or you? And what do they say? Here's what blows my mind in this section. Just a minute, Bill. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the men who were miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Okay, Bill. I like the way 19 and 20 is, in, is first here. It says, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it be right in the sight of God or to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. When I was teaching high school, I learned very quickly that if I were having a discipline problem, I had to follow up what I said. But So if I'm trying to get my classes raucous attention, and I say, stop, hush, I don't want to see one more spit wide ever again. And if you do, I'm sending you the principal. I promise within 15 seconds, somebody's going to bean me in the head with a spit wad. <laughs> I've been beaned a lot with spit wads. Well, here's, here's what, what you don't do and what every rookie teacher does. 
don't you do that again. Okay, once you do that, you have lost all control. All power is gone. Because I said you were going to the principal, and I did not send you to the principal. And at that point, my authority, I undermine my own authority by not following through on it. So if I tell you you're going to the principal, I have to be prepared to, to have that form ready to go, and you need to be gone in 15 seconds. You know? And then when I say, don't do that, or I'm calling the principal, they know I mean it, and they're not going to do that. Right? So here we have the Caiaphas and Annas who are saying, you cannot preach about Jesus. And Peter says, no. And they say, you better, and they send him out the door. What just happened? Well, he had to take the and he's in front of 5,000 people, and those 5,000 people saw the high priest back down, not follow through on what they said, and he walked out and started preaching, and that was the end of that. They pulled the teeth of the Pharisees right here, and these are the people that just crucified Christ a month ago. Well, they did for this second, but then they'll pull them back in later and they'll do what you said, they're going to punish them. Well, can this not just be the power of the Holy Spirit again? Yes, I do. I, this is under the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit says, oh, you're not going to punish Peter, you know, we, we've seen Peter under Peter's power cowering by, by the fire and hiding. You know, uh, Peter is a very human guy and very subject to fear, you know. Uh, I, I, I get that. This this Peter seems like a different guy than we see elsewhere. And the there's a reason for that. Is the power of Pentecost. Pentecost. Yeah, yeah, preach it. He says, I'm, no, I'm not going to do it. And the Holy and there, let's do it like a movie, very dramatic. They're about to lay it down. The Holy Spirit stops that hand and, and puts the fear in them. Mm -hmm. And they say, no, please just don't do it. We'll let you go. I think in, if it had, I think you take out the Holy Spirit, it would have ended completely different. This is the the reason why they got away with the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus because it was in the will of God that Jesus be crucified. Yep. The Holy Spirit stayed back, but in this, this everything about Pentecost, everything about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is about preach Jesus and preach him crucified and letting them go was going to continue that, and that's why the Holy Spirit went into the of Annas and Caiaphas and said, "You're not punishing." Was, was, God, was the Holy Spirit particular because the next time they get whipped and then you have Stephen, he gets stoned to death instead of... They were whipped but released. Okay, remember what that says. They were beaten up for it and released and they went, power of the Holy Spirit again, yeah. they went leaving, praising God that they were found worthy to suffer for his name and, and, and they continued to preach and it added to the church. Still part of the Holy Spirit's plan. Stephen's death led to Paul. I can't explain God's will about letting some people die and some not. Well, I know. I just, but it's yeah. all in the plan of the Holy Spirit. And I mean, it's, because we know that Stephen stood up in the Holy Spirit. They saw him. They literally, when they were stoning him, they literally looked at him. I know, but that's. He turned to like the face of an angel. It is within the game plan of God. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit obeys the game plan of God. And, and it began at the day of Pentecost. And it began at the day of Pentecost. And this is really the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know why Stephen stoned and was killed and others were saved. That's 
That's well, the will of God. God. We, we don't understand why God would send a missionary but, over to a country and then he'd be killed. But know? look at common sense. In, in, you take the Holy Spirit out just any world of good. When someone dies, it's meant to quiet that movement. This is Holy Spirit empowered. The death of Stephen empowered. empowered people and grew the church. It doesn't make sense according to the world, but it makes perfectly sense according to the Holy Spirit. And they did have to suffer persecution before they were willing to leave Jerusalem and go do what Jesus called them to do. But that was well, I think there's an important message for the church as a whole now. A lot of people think when I get saved, everything's going to go my way, it's all going to be good, and I'm in God's will when everything's perfect. When the reality is that's not the world we live in. We should expect adversity. We should expect suffering as part of our Christian walk. Someone makes fun of me because I'm a Christian. I find myself praising God that someone saw I was a Christian enough to persecute me. Praise the Lord for that. Now, I'm not wanting to be persecuted, but I'm like, if someone says, when I was at grad school, I was known as the preacher at grad school. And there were some people who didn't like it. Was I offended? Did I go to the administration and complain about it? Did I get to come to church and complain about how people don't like me as a Christian? No. Hey, at least they noticed that I was a Christian. That's fine. To kind of build on what Faith just said, uh, it occurs to me that I lost my train of thought. I had this really brilliant point there. Well, he distracted me and yeah. it just made well, everything. What I was saying is we, we as Christians try and think that if we hit adversity nowadays that that's not the case. Yeah. We have to realize that right. we're going to have things like that happen. Uh, I struggle with the fact that in, you know, last week we talked about how uh, Peter and John walked past this uh, area where the beggars sat and they're all licensed and they all have these cloaks that the the the, the temple gives them to allow them to beg and there were at least 20 there's room for 20 in that area and so these are the preferred beggars that uh you know the upper level beggars because they get the good alms at the at the at the, at the temple and uh they heal one of them they don't heal 20 of them and, and I look at this from a human perspective, and basically, I just want to see a relief of suffering. I would, why, why, why doesn't, uh, why don't the apostles go to the hospital and just blanket heal everybody so that there's no more patients in the hospital? Wouldn't that make the most sense? If I were a superhero, that's totally what I would do. Because, because I want to eliminate suffering. But that's not the point of, of, these, of, of any of these miracles. It's never about the human suffering. It's never about the person. It, it's about the, the point of why uh, uh, that God is powerful and God is sovereign. And why it, it's about faith. It's about our eternal lives, not our physical one. It is amazing because Jesus did exactly what you said. It said when Jesus was... When he was in the city, he healed them all. All the ones that came to him, he healed them. It said the Bible says he healed them all. See, I make this big point, and then Bill just undermines me. Well, that, he well but there was a the in there. He, he didn't do any healing because of lack of belief, too. He said he healed all of them. That's true. No, 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 no. And this just got all complicated. I made a good, now, now oh, I just wish I had said anything. God does what God wants to do. That's the thing. God does what God wants to do. And I understand it's Jesus when he was preaching and teaching it. You know, he would go into those villages and it said he would heal them all. 
you know, so I understand it's a difference, but still it's kind of what it goes to what you said. We can't cheapen our salvation by making it, oh, when I do this, God does this. Yes. That's not what it is. That's our salvation piety. has got to be our trust in God, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And that and that's you know, don't be a cheap Christian that only serves him in the good times. That's People what would like it to fit in. That's what they want. That's not what it is. Well, see, that's and that Jim just made the best point of the whole class, I think. Did he? I, I All this is about putting God in our box. Yeah. Right. He's got to do it this way. He's got to do it this way. I have learned after years. I, I, I can't predict God unless the Bible says it about him. Outside of what it says in God's word, I can't predict what God does. I had sermons I thought was going to rock the world, man. This is going to change mankind, this sermon I'm about to preach, and it does. <laughs> and then I go, man, I'm having a hard time with this sermon. I'm just going to throw something together. And that's the one everybody talked about. So, you know, it, God does what God wants to do. Have you ever had a sermon to where it's like you're preaching to a wall, and finally you just it's like the Holy Spirit speaks to you and said, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Stop. Or my wife falling asleep while I'm preaching. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. <laughs> seriously, have you ever? Have you, have my you, wife writing on my uh, message. They didn't heal all the beggars. That's what I was saying. It's a difference. Jesus went into the villages. He healed them all, but that's he's Jesus. Here, the Holy Spirit is working, and he evidently pinpointed out the one person for, Jesus, for a reason. But then Jesus told him, you're going to do greater things than me. But I don't think he was talking about that. I think he was talking about spreading the word. Jesus yeah. said within that community, the gospels are going to go to the world. You have everyone to trust God to heal when he wants to. And only one came back and changed. Yeah. I really think that the book should be called The Acts of the I think he said that already, didn't he? <laughs> you were just stealing stuff. Okay. Uh, I We are out of time. And so uh, we're going to pick it up at 23, uh, where all the believers pray and thank God for uh, um, um, watching out for them and asking for him to bless their, their ministry. And, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go out preaching. And uh, then we kind of lead into the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and it gets even more complicated. So uh, we will pick it up at 23 next time. And with that, Internet, goodbye.